be seated. We say it is well with our soul. That is about the confidence that we can have that no matter what's swirling around us, that no matter what you brought into the room today, no matter where your life is, we know that God walks with us and that nothing we encounter is not filtered through God's hands. So rest in him this morning. Let it be well with your soul this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt Briggs, and I'm the family pastor, and uh, it's my pleasure to get to speak and preach this morning. Uh, our pastor, David, is out of town this morning. Uh, I think he's learning how to surf, and, uh, and so I don't know if that was successful or not, and, uh, and so I'll make sure we get a report on that uh, next week sometime during the welcome. So um, that's why uh, you'll, you get to hear from me this morning, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to get to do that today. Um, well, I'll say that today's story and today's passage are pretty well known. Uh, that's probably a, a pretty strong understatement um, because even people who aren't in church know bits and pieces of this story. In fact, our preschoolers are learning the same story today in the classroom. So I thought that turned out to be pretty cool as I was preparing the preschool curriculum. I was like, oh, they're doing Noah too. That's fun. Um, but before we go there, let's recap where we've been the last few weeks um, we're in our Gospel Project series as a church, and that's from our community groups and here uh, in the services, and that's been awesome to see God move and work in that the last few weeks. And so if you want to be involved in a community group, uh, if that's something you haven't got to experience, we would love for you to do that. You can go to the website uh, that Christian mentioned earlier or fill it out on your card and let us know. We'd love to hook you up with a community group where you can go fully in-depth with these passages that we're starting the conversation with on Sunday mornings. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how God created us in His image. And we've taken that image of God and, and tried to define good and evil for ourselves, and we brought sin into the world, which, by the way, didn't catch God off guard. And then we've learned about how that sin doesn't only enter our own hearts and our own lives, but that sin enters the whole world around us. It enters into societies and systems, and, and our duty as image bearers is to step in and bring the hope of Christ into those situations, into our own lives, and into the greater society. But today, we're going to focus on the grace of God coming in a totally unexpected way to reboot a fractured world, and we understand how that grace is going to change how we view ourselves and God's purpose for the world. So turn your, your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. Um, if you haven't guessed already, we're going to be talking about, I may have even said it accidentally, we're going to be talking about Noah today. We're going to be talking about the all too familiar story of, of Noah and the ark this morning. So if you will read with me, um, the verses will be on the screen, Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So remember when we read the Bible, this is not hyperbole. This is not exaggeration. So when the Bible says that all the hearts of men were all evil continually, that is truth. And uh, the world was a broken, broken place. The world descended into chaos, and this passage says that God regretted that he had ever made humans. That word, that the word regret, as I read this passage, that's trouble for me to comprehend. Um, regret when it comes to an all-knowing, almighty 
God. But when you look at the, the word in the original Hebrew, I, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. Um, it really is better translated as to be sorry, to suffer grief, or more, more fittingly, to be moved, to pity. And I believe this is a much more accurate picture of what we see here when it says the Lord regretted making humans. It's saying that the Lord was moved to pity over the creating humans. There are things that we all regret. And for us, that usually means we did something dumb and didn't see it or, or we didn't care about the consequences. You know, if, if you're married, you have regrets. If uh, you've taken certain classes with certain professors, you have regrets. If you play fantasy football or, or root for Mississippi State, like you have regrets, right? Like those things happen, right? We all have regrets. And so, but what's different about our regret, God's regret, is our regret bring shame our regret brings questioning but but when it talks about God regretting here it's talking about him moving to pity for his people moving and working in the lives of people God knew this was going to happen and it still caused him grief and it caused him to turn to compassion we have this idea of what pity or compassion looks like you know it's a pretty happy thing when we think about pity or compassion you know those are positive words and so we think of, we think about like a, a kitty cat with the big eyes looking up at you or we think about a little kid with the boo-boo lip you know just saying mommy I'm so sorry like those are the kind of images we think about when we think about compassion or mercy or grace but the thing about that kind of compassion the kind that we usually do fall for and regret and uh and give unlike that kind of grace the grace of God is always costly true grace true forgiveness always costs something in God's economy more often than not grace is achieved through pain through sorrow and through suffering check out verse 7 of chapter 6 so the Lord said I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them there's that word regret again you know, God created us for a relationship with him. So when we sin, like it's not a minor thing for him. It's not just something that, that he passes off. Um, this is grief. This is sorrow for him. It's betrayal that cuts to the heart. You know, the best example I can think of is a husband or a wife cheating on one another. But that really doesn't even come close to the way that God feels when we break that fellowship with him, when we break that relationship with him. So when God looked at the broken world around Noah, he knew that it needed a cleansing. But why couldn't God just let sin go? Why couldn't he just shrug it off and say, well, I knew they were going to mess up, and so I'm just going to forgive them, and we're just going to move on. It's because all of you that have ever forgiven someone for anything know that when we forgive one another, when you extend forgiveness, when you extend grace to someone, that almost always cost you something. So a few weeks ago after church, uh, we went and had lunch with some people um, at the little yellow Mexican restaurant on Fortification. I still don't know what it's called. I've been there a hundred times. But we were at that little Mexican restaurant for lunch, and I'm on the way there. I'm meeting my wife and my son there. And my wife, who is an excellent driver, um, we, she calls me and uh, as I'm right as I'm getting off the interstate, and she says, hey, I, I hit a car in the parking lot. And I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be fun this afternoon. That's going to be fun this week. 
Um, but, you know, I, I, was, I just said, I can't get mad. She's never, had, she never even had a ticket since I've known her. So, like, we're just going to move on, and it's not going to be a big deal. So I get there. I survey the damage, and I'm like, that's pretty bad on my car, and it's a pretty good scrape on, uh, on the car that, that she hit. So I left a note, left a phone number uh, on the car, and we went on about our day. Uh, a little while later, the guy called me back, and he said, hey, this is so-and-so, and I was just calling. Uh, I saw your phone number and name on my car, and I just wanted to see what this was all about. So the guy had not even noticed that anyone had hit his car. I, I just can't imagine that. So anyway, I tell him, look, well, my, my wife hit your car in the parking lot, and we just wanted to leave our phone number so we could, we could make it right. And, uh, and he goes, he says, okay, well, let me go look at it. So he goes out, and he, and he, call, and he um, says, oh, that's no big deal. It'll just buff out. It's, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I said, are you sure, man? Like, I saw it. Like, it was, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little damage. And he said, no, don't worry about it. It's good. I'll just get some touch-up paint. I'll just buff it out. It'll be good. And I breathed a sigh of relief for the grace that that guy extended to us in that moment. But, you know, fixing his car is not going to be free. That cost him some time. That cost him some research, if he ever fixed it. It cost him some time. It cost him, it cost, if he didn't know it was there, I don't think he's real worried about fixing it. But when he does decide to fix it, you know, that's going to cost him some time. It's going to cost him some touch-up pain. It's going to cost him a few moments. When we extend grace, when we extend forgiveness, it always costs us something. And sin and pain always cost something, and someone has to pay for it. And as we talked about earlier, God's true grace in our lives requires sacrifice. All right, well, can, can we talk about what grace actually looks like? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn there. Uh, in verse 8 of chapter 6, but God found favor, I mean, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Skip to verse 17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Okay, so I know this story is familiar, but like pretend like you're looking at the little pen from men in black and just forget for a minute right just forget you know the story of Noah and just step back and think of of how crazy this is God sees the world in a downward spiral of sin and he decides to do something about it to destroy it all and start over you know that's what you do with your computer right when your computer messes up you just turn it off and turn it back on right that fixes Most every problem you have, and if it doesn't, well, then you need to just throw it away and buy a new computer, right? But like with God, what he says here is the world needs a reboot, and here's how I'm going to do it. And it seems pretty harsh and intense, but how can destroying the whole world save one man and his family be a grace-filled act? 
He could have just been done with humans. He could have walked away from us. That would have been the easy path to take. In fact, I think that's the default for us, right? When somebody wrongs us, when somebody hurts us, when somebody betrays us, our default gesture, our default emotion is to give up on them in that moment. But God looked at humanity and he said, I'm not going to give up on you. He chose to save humanity through a man named Noah. We see here God choose to save Noah and his family in order to save his creative work, the crown jewel of all his creation, the only ones made in his own image, mankind. So why Noah? You know, we know there were a lot of people on the earth, so why Noah? Because the Bible says that Noah was righteous and he was blameless and he walked with God. And we, we know that Noah was human, and so we know he wasn't sinless. Uh, we see this immediately after the flood, as a matter of fact. He, he did something so crazy and so totally against God that we immediately know the humanity and the fallibility of Noah in that moment. So what did it mean when the Bible says that he is righteous? God didn't save Noah because he always made the right choices. God saved Noah because Noah had received God's gracious offer of salvation. That's what made him righteous. And that's always the way it works, isn't it? Accepting God's gracious offer of salvation is the only thing that leads to salvation. It's the only thing that leads to righteousness. It's the only thing that leads to right standing with God. Not our good decisions, not our bank accounts, not our friends, not our family, not our careers, not our church attendance, not our GPA. None of that stuff has anything to do with right standing with God. The only way to achieve that is through relationship, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Check out this passage from Ephesians that gives some New Testament clarification to what we're talking about today. It'll be up on the screen, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We see grace, the word grace in that passage, over and over and over again. We see grace in Christ, grace in Christ, grace in Christ. It's a gift that we're all available to all of us, but we all have to receive that gift. And Noah knew he was receiving grace. God knew Noah's plan, and Noah set to work to gift that grace to others. God, Noah set in his heart to obey God and to tell people about what was coming. The Bible says in 2 Peter that Noah faithfully preached righteousness and was an example of faithful obedience while building the ark and gathering supplies, a period of over 100 years. But instead of taking this opportunity to repent, they just laughed at him. I can just imagine this was probably a pretty easy reaction for people to have, right? Hey, guys, listen, I know it's never rained before. Um, by the way, rain is water falling from the sky. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be water fall from the sky, and not just like a little water, 
A lot of water is going to fall from the sky. So here's what I'm going to do. God told me to build this boat, and it is tremendously big. It is bigger than anything you've ever seen in your whole life. And we're going to put two of every kind of animal on it, lots of food, lots of supplies. And that's how we're going to be saved from all this rain and from this flood. You guys ought to come with me. And you can imagine their reaction. Their, their reaction, they just laugh at him. They mistook God's patience for God's absence. Let me say that again. They mistook God's patience for God's absence. God gave them over 100 years to repent. God gave them over 100 years to look at Noah and, and hear his message and see his obedience and say, Noah, I believe you, and I believe God. I want to get on the boat. But instead, they just laugh at the work of God. Don't make the same mistake, whether figuratively or literally. Don't laugh at the grace of God that's so present in your life, whether you believe it or see it or not. Run to him and be saved. He's always pursuing you. I think about the story of the prodigal son when it talks about the father seeing his son when he was a long way off and he, and he saw him and he ran to him, he embraced him, he kissed him, he threw him a party. God pursues you. God loves you. God wants each and every one of us to repent. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, God wants that relationship with you. Don't miss the boat on the relationship with God. And it's easy to look at crazy, relation, crazy situations like this and think, how is God going to accomplish his purpose by destroying the whole world? Like, did sin totally thwart the plan of God? And that's what's so cool about our sovereign God, what I was talking about in the beginning, that no matter what we face, no matter what we encounter in our lives, that sin can never block what God wants to do in the world. God, sin can never block God's creative purpose. Look at Genesis 9, verse 1. Okay, this is the flood has already happened. And God has wiped out the whole earth, save what was on the boat. And God, and we start to hear about God's grace towards Noah. Genesis 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's easy to look at the flood and question the love of God. It's why, God, why did so many people have to die? We don't always understand the way God moves. We don't always understand the way God works. But we do know this, that God's preservation of Noah and his family shows us how much he loved humanity. They are truly the pinnacle of his creation. We're the only ones made in the image of God. God's refusal to give up on us should cause us to show similar compassion for others that we're tempted to give up on. You know, as we've covered the last few weeks each and every person that you encounter, each and every person in this room, bears the image of God. God created us and loves us, and God has unique purpose and plan for you as his image bearer. And, and maybe, and for a lot of us, like that part's not hard to understand, right? We, we think we, it's easy to believe that we are created in the image of God, and uh, it's really easy for pride to grow in our hearts because of that and because of all the other uh, things in our lives. And it's so easy for that pride to say, yes, you are made in God's image. In fact, you are the God of your own life. You need to do whatever is best for you. And most of us make most of our decisions that way. Uh, we make decisions based on what would be best for us. It's really easy to do. 
Um, and sometimes that's okay, but most of the time what God tells us to do is to put others before ourselves. We see ourselves as better than one another. We think we deserve the better seat at the table. But listen to what God says through Jesus in Matthew 19. First will be on the screen. But many of you who are first will be last, and many of you who are last will be first. To me, this tells us that we always need to be evaluating our own hearts. Are we loving those that the world sees as last? Are we champions for the marginalized? Are we advocates for the oppressed? Are we hope for the neglected? Are we loved to the unloved? This is something that truly convicts me as I think about my own life and who I am because so much of what I do and the direction that I take is making the decisions that are best for me. But when I see what God does here and when I see this unrelenting grace of God to, to continue and to love and to preserve humanity and not giving up on us, how much more should we not give up on those that God places in our lives? I pray for my heart and for the heart of Grace City that we'd be a place that can love others and help people discover life in Christ. We need to be willing to step out and help the marginalized know Him. God didn't give up on me, and God didn't give up on you. So we shouldn't give up on anyone. Who has God called you to love? When I was listing that, those sets of people a minute ago, who did you think of? What came to mind to you when you think of the least of these? Those are the people this week. Those are the people for the rest of your life. Chase down. Love them. Show them the same grace that God shows you. Let's finish up with the more notorious parts of the story. Um, verse 12 of chapter 9. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Okay, so again, as I was talking about, you probably all know this part of the story, but we also know that the flood didn't fix everything. We know as people that have walked this earth post-flood that the world is not perfect after this great reboot. We know that there's still sin in the world, and the world is in just as bad a shape as it was when God destroyed it the first time. But we know and we have God's promise that he'll never do it that way Again, the rainbow shows us a beautiful picture of a more permanent solution that God was going to reveal to all people. The full translation of the word bow used in this passage was for a war bow. So this would have been a very familiar imagery to them. And uh, it would have been like probably talking about a gun for us. You know, like it was just a weapon of war. It would have meant wrath to them. The, the image of a bow would have incurred thoughts of wrath to them. So I have a little prop today. And it's beautiful. You're going to love it. Um, everyone say aw. Okay, so, so this is our bow, that the, uh, that the rainbow that one of our kids made in nursery the first hour. And uh, the first service did not get this beautiful illustration because these had not been made yet. So thank Mabry Wise for making this beautiful rainbow for us. Okay, and so the rainbow, God puts the rainbow in the clouds this way, right? So look at the shape of a bow. Pretend like this is a bow, like a war bow. Which way is the rainbow pointing? 
Which way is the bow pointing? This is the part where you answer. So which way is the rainbow pointing? Okay, so the rainbow points up towards God, not down towards us, right? See, God cannot accomplish permanent salvation without absorbing wrath himself. Instead of pointing his wrath towards us, God pointed his wrath toward heaven at his son, Jesus. Christ was fully God and fully man. In that, he is the only one that could handle the wrath of God. Only God himself could absolve mankind of their sins. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the next time you see a rainbow, think of God's grace. The next time you see a rainbow, thank God for pouring his wrath out on Jesus. Thank God for loving you so much and extending so much grace to you to pour that wrath on his son rather than to pour it on us as we so deserve it. So today we've learned that that grace is costly, that God's grace truly does cost something. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is apply this grace to your life. Don't apply this, apply this cross costly grace to your life. And that could be accepting Christ for the first time. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't have that relationship with God. If that's you today, don't mistake God's patience for God's absence. God loves you. He's pursuing you, giving your life today. This could be realizing how much God values you and how much he paid on your behalf to extend that grace to you. If that's you, go out with greater purpose today. That could be moving towards the marginalized instead of away from them. Go do that today. Maybe it's some other way we haven't discussed, but I know this, that what God did for you and what God did for me is extend great grace that cost him his own son. Let that be applied to your life today.